You're listening to episode 136 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Guys, I'm stressed out, alright? I'm stressed out. If you were to go downstairs in the main floor of my house, you'd see newspaper clippings posted all over the walls. I've got a crazy conspiracy theory. Let's hear it. The earth is flat. We Let's, know that. I mean, that's it. That's the answer. That's We already know that. That's not a conspiracy theory anymore. Okay. Dick Cheney made money off 9-11. Okay. That's not a conspiracy either. You're just you're just mentioning facts now, yeah. Kale. Water is wet. We know. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. Well, shit. Okay, we'll talk after the now, show. Now, there's the theory. That's the conspiracy. <laughs> can, can, can you do the angle? <laughs> I think I know. dance move or... I think I know why the last three years have been so bad on planet Earth. I think this is Ground Zero and Earth Zero and Dr. Manhattan has come here and changed everything. You know, I'll be goddamned if I didn't have that exact thought reading this book. (laughs) (laughs) I like how as soon as you said that, Marco just got, like, he just got kicked off the Google Hangouts call. So I think Dr. Manhattan might have just wiped him out of existence. Or Marco is Dr. Manhattan, and he knows he's caught. (laughs) He just ran to Mars. My man went to Mars, and if you ever listen to Marco on this show, he sounds like he's from Mars. Real talk, though, I think if any one of us was going to secretly be Dr. Manhattan, it would be Marco. Yeah, it's like the Satan thing. It's the one you least expect, except we all know Marco would be the most likely to be Satan. Well, I mean, think about it. Which one of us would be most likely to just walk around hanging dong? And even if he became like a super, super intelligent being, he would still have sex. That sounds like Marco. Um, That sounds like me. He said a super intelligent being. He said Sean. if. He said if we were to become a super intelligent being. Sean's like very offended. He's like, hey, I would walk around with my dick out, all right? If I was blue and buff, yeah. If you were just so powerful that nobody could say anything about the fact that you were naked. What would I care? And also, I can make you see me with clothes on if I feel like it. It's not even a big deal. Now, the real thing is, Pete, I think you're on to something. Which one of us is the most likely to be hanging out with a big blue schlongerino? It's Marco, because he's definitely tied that shit off. Oh! <laughs> God! That made me uncomfortable. I, I, think, <laughs> I can't... I, I, I'm not sure if I lost the lost track of the game here. <laughs> Weird. <clears throat> Uh, also, who's so, the most likely to have blue balls? Believe it or not, right. this is a show about comics. <laughs> uh, Every week we get closer to the long box, guys. This is getting raunchy. <laughs> you guys remember I, how? I know. I, I know you don't listen to the long box. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> the The bar keeps moving. Don't worry. <laughs> in uh, in in Avengers Endgame, Thanos is like sitting on a rock. And he gives that whole speech about how all your choices, everything that you've done, led you led you to me. And the, if you just imagine Matt and Tyler sitting in the Thanos position, <laughs> on uh, one on the other shoulders, <laughs> in a purple trench coat. Speaking of the long box, 
at least a, a couple of us, I assume, will be hanging out with the long box this week at the Dark Phoenix uh, movie screening that they have going on. So uh, if you're in the New York area and you want tickets to that, I don't know if they're still available, but you can check the long box out on social media and I'm sure they'll have a link there. If it's still available, we'd love to see anyone who, you know, might want to come hang out. If, uh, if they have merch or something, uh, try to get one of them to buy me something. Okay. <laughs> also, um, if you want to help rescue our boys who are definitely being held captive by the long box, shoot some money to my Venmo. I can use that to drive to New York where tolls are really expensive, and I'll rescue the boys who are trapped. Awesome. Uh, Marco has returned to the show. Has he? Back from Mars. He's extra dimensional. Okay, so um, just before we we get started here, I want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. We are at the Comics Pals on basically every uh, podcast hosting platform. So go check us out. Leave us a like. Leave us a comment. Do whatever you want to do, uh, but do something. We are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can uh, hang out with us over there. Check out, you know, our weekly posts. We've got some some good some good social content rolling out these days. So uh, give us a like if you haven't done that yet. And then, last but certainly not least, you can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com uh, if you want to talk to us about anything that we've ever talked about before, or some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about this week which includes four, four comic book reviews. And by the way, they're all from DC Comics. What? Yeah, boy! Unbelievable. See it, Pete! (laughs) You! (laughs) Uh, So we're talking about all of DC's biggest releases this week. This was actually a huge week overall. Uh, But DC really uh, grabbed the bag because this week we are reviewing and they've released Doomsday Clock number 10, Heroes in Crisis number 9, Superman Leviathan Rising Special number 1, and Batman Last Night on Earth number 1. Can you say the second one one more time? Heroes in Crisis number 9. That's rude. It's How did you time your fart like that? (laughs) That's my superpower, Kale. That's my secret, Cap. Yep. My farts are always timed. Hmm. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. We're, we're, I, we've devolved into the I don't the know that that answers jokes. the question. Uh, <laughs> Listen, it's been 135 episodes. 136. We're, t- we're tired. Flush down the jam. No, please, please. <laughs> good please. lead in. Flush not, down the quality good. of this program. <laughs> All right. So already did. Yes. Yes, you did. So I'm going to take us into the pals pulls. From Marco and Phil, we've got Cemetery Beach trade. What is this? Uh this is the good shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
That definitely answers our question. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I've, Any other questions? <laughs> I've mentioned this book in the past uh, a couple times. Uh, I picked up the first three issues. It's, um, it's a Warren Ellis book, and I'm forgetting yep. who the artist is. Um, Jason Howard. Yes. Uh, but after the first three issues, I decided to wait uh, to pick up the trade because uh, I enjoyed the series. I like Ellis as a writer, and um, I remember very fondly enjoying like the action and so this is something that i definitely wanted to pick up and i'm glad phil that you're gonna you're gonna pick this one because it's the first three issues alone are huge amounts of fun i haven't read any of it i have one friend who's a big warren ellis guy keeps telling me to read this uh i normally don't pick up floppies i pick up tradies so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm into it didn't. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm into it. I uh, I'll definitely pick this up on Wednesday. Do so. Okay. Awesome. So uh, from Pete, we've got Shazam number six. Hell yeah, Pete. Yeah. <clears throat> so I've really been enjoying uh, Jeff John's Shazam. Um, we did a book club on it pretty recently. I am an issue behind, so I'm gonna have to read five and six. But um, it's it's been a fun ride, and it's definitely like a nice light superhero book. You know, and uh, I haven't followed a monthly like that in a while, so it's it's been a nice change of pace for me. Now that you live in Philadelphia, you're in the back, uh, you're in the playground of Shazam. Yeah, that definitely like helps. <laughs> Hell I yeah, will say. dude! Hell yeah! <laughs> Shazam's been very enjoyable. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty basic, but that's fine. It's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's like good storytelling. I haven't followed something like that in so long that it's like it feels it's nice. It's familiar, you know. Yeah, sure. Does it does it remind you a little of uh, Invincible? Ooh. In just in that way. Um, maybe like the early stuff of it, but I yeah. think what Invincible does so well is that it feels that way until it doesn't. Yeah, sure. sure. You know. Um. So like. I could see that com- that like why you would make that connection, but uh, unless unless things get very very different, yeah, um, yeah. probably not. Hmm. You know, yeah, fair. Well, I know I know Marco probably likes Shazam more because it doesn't have his you know arch nemesis Ryan Otley's art in it. So no, he no he used to hate on Kirkman. You don't even remember the bit. I don't remember the bit. <laughs> 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 nice. <laughs> you also chose Black Cat number one. I did, yeah. Um, so we didn't talk about this when it first got announced, but um, they are doing, they're giving Black Cat her first ever, like, ongoing series. And um, it's going to be uh, done by Jed McKay and um, Travel Foreman. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I'm a big fan of Black Cat. And um, they're kind of bringing her. I think a little bit closer to her roots, it sounds like, in this series. Um, I know, like, over the last, uh, you know, like, couple years, she was, like, a kingpin and all these kinds of stuff. And, you know, it was, like, a big crime lord and had this confrontation with Silk and all this other stuff. So and now it seems like she's kind of, like, leaning back towards the more, like, anti-hero kind of thing, trying to make up for some of her mistakes. She's at odds with all these criminals. Um, so I'm going to give it a shot. 
Yeah, I know you don't like when characters change. You want them to rubber band back to the normal continuity. Yeah, that's definitely the opinion that I offer on this show regularly. <laughs> Travel foreman on art. That's yes. going to be intense. Yes. Be I've good. never I've never seen um their stuff before. What what have uh what have they worked on before? Uh Travel was on Animal Man, right, Marco? Um or was it Swamp like Swamp Thing? One of the two. I don't think Swamp Thing. Maybe maybe Animal Man. I think it was Animal Man because I I I found out about Travel Foreman at the same time as uh, yeah it was it was the Rot World stuff. Oh yep. okay. Yeah. Oh, I really right. like Travel. Yeah, he's very good. And then he also did the uh, Civil War Two Amazing Spider Man, which was maybe the best tie in to that to that uh, series. So he's yeah he's there super talented. Um, the other thing I was going to say. Oh, go ahead. He did Immortal Iron Fist, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's probably where I know him from, then. Oh, shit. Awesome. Okay, so I have seen his stuff before. That's that's really cool. That makes me even more excited. Well, that Immortal Iron Fist is not the same as the uh, the Matt Fraction run. Oh, okay. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um. So, Black Cat has been in a really cool spot and I love where they've taken her character. They've kind of made her more of a player. And for the first ten years of me reading comics, she didn't even factor in anything. So it, even though, you know, they're taking her back to one in a way, I like the fact that they gave her more of a shot. And this is probably the best time that there's ever been to give her a solo. So very cool. Yeah. Very cool. <clears throat> yeah, and I feel like it makes sense, right? Because you kind of have to bring her back to one on some level, I think, to make that book make sense for where they want to take it, you know? Like, having it be a more, like, hero-oriented story. Like, you know, if she's, like, a, 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 a kingpin or a crime lord or something, that's, like, not necessarily conducive to that kind of storytelling. So, but yeah, it's cool that they've kind of, like, elevated her character to make her... A more relevant player because I always liked her, but t- yeah, to your point, she was always like, just kind of like a a B list Spider Man character at best. Is it weird to you guys that Black Cat and Catwoman are basically the same character? Weird? No, no, because like there's so many examples of that, right? Like, <laughs> we could probably do a whole show about that. Yeah, there's so that would many. Honestly, be a really fun main topic. We should. Find all of the like one to one characters we can like that, and like pick like have each of us like pick different ones and argue for them, and like see who wins or whatever. Oh, like, so like if I say, uh, so like if I say Superman, you have to tell me the Superman analog in Marvel. I'm gonna oh, tell we you- could do it that way. I was saying we pick all of them in advance, and like we like do like face offs, like which one's better. Oh, yeah. like, we could. The Thanos dark side conversation, like yeah, who's scarier? Who's the better villain? Who's cooler? Yeah, let me tell Same you all. You. Let me tell you all right now why Hyperion and Sentry and Gladiator are all better than Superman. <laughs> exactly. Well, we will uh, we'll workshop that, and uh, we'll we'll debut that at some point. That's not now, because um, I know Black Cat isn't better than Catwoman, but I'll fight to the death. So let's do it. Well, then you just <laughs> lost because you just said <laughs> she's not better. And I will remember this. So 
Don't even test me, son. Sean never forgets. That's right. Uh, so I chose Buffy number five. I'm not going to belabor it. Buffy has been absolutely fantastic. The most worthy successor to the television show that there has been since the television show ended. And that's considering the fact that there was a comic written by Joss Whedon himself about Buffy after the fact. This is better than that. Jordi Belair absolutely murdering this book. Uh, Really phenomenal. Can't sing the praises enough. And then in addition, we've got Angel, which just dropped. Number one came out last week. Brian Edward Hill. That's awesome, too. So Buffy is back in a major way. And I really, really recommend that anyone who has ever wanted to jump on board with the Buffy brand do so right now. So, Marco. Yep. Yesterday was a pretty uh, monumental day, no? Haha, <laughs> I have a story. Let's hear it. <laughs> All right, I'm, so. I'm already concerned. Everyone shut up. Marco has the floor. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Yep. Uh, so, I volunteer as some of you here know uh listeners i volunteer for a marketing course they recently graduated uh friday so we all went out for celebratory drinks i got smashed and so um on my way back home i get halal cart food because i'm also really hungry Uh, i don't remember this Uh, and then uh, let me preface that and then i Come back home. Miranda's sitting down watching TV. I'm like, we have to watch Swamp Thing. I'm like, she's like, oh, okay, fine. Uh, so I'm sitting there. I'm eating my my halal food. And then I wake up the next day. So I asked Miranda, hey, what happened last night? She's like, well, <laughs> she's like, well, um, I watched Swamp Thing and I got it. I was like, oh, you understand? I was like, yeah, I understand his, like, his origin, his backstory. I was super happy. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't remember anything. She's like, yeah, you fell asleep uh, and cuddled with your cat. <laughs> I was beyond Marco, upset. Aside, beyond upset. this whole time for you to talk about the show. Beyond upset. Uh, but I will say um, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy that it translated enough for Mariana because that I think means that it the message can be communicated easily and and the the concept of Swamp Thing, which is sort of convoluted of him being a monster turned into a man, but not really being uh, I'm sorry, a man turned into a monster, but then him not actually being that. So I'm glad that the message was conveyed to somebody who has tangential knowledge, but never actually like read the books and never actually digested it. Um, so I'm really happy about that. She said it was super scary. Uh, and oh, hell yeah. So like, I'm, I'm really excited for that. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I'm pumped that it's here. I'm pumped that the next episode's coming out and, um, I will let you guys know when I watch it. <laughs> See, that's, that's, that's the thing right now is I don't believe you. I think you've been pulling the wool over all of our eyes for 150,000 episodes. I don't think you're really a Swamp Thing fan. You, you fell asleep. You're right. I fell asleep while intoxicated, cuddling my cat. Yeah, okay. It sounds like you're more interested in your cat than you are in Swamp Thing. You're not wrong. You know what? I'm a fan of Catwoman. You like Catwoman fan of more. Cheetah. Oh, Cheetah, no, you're no. right. You're right. That's right. That's why definitely a furry. That's why I was cuddling with my cat. 
don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear Whoa. that. Dude. There's the line. I'm calling Peter. <laughs> I don't know if that's any better. I'm 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 right here, Sean. <laughs> Peter. Ah, <laughs> oh, Peter. Ah, oh, Peter. <laughs> that one was for you, Bucky. I know you're listening. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> that's my review of Swamp Thing. Friggin' sweet. Yeah. <laughs> that That's pretty disappointing. I was hoping to hear you know, some, some positive things, but all right. But you know what? On brand. Oh, my so God. Marco, Marco, you were also supposed to give me and Sean your login so we could watch it with you and talk to you about it. You're just dropping the ball. Yeah. You're failing Swamp Thing on this podcast. I am. Right I now. apologize to the Swamp Thing gods, the Parliament of Trees. That, isn't that just Swamp Thing? No, the Parliament of Trees. Oh, okay. Dude, the Greens gonna get your ass. They might, honestly. <laughs> Straight up in there. Gosh, that would be like me not going to see Dark Phoenix or something. That's insane. Or like, like you, you come back to our Dark Phoenix review, and we're like, "All right, Sean." Tell us about it. You're the Phoenix guy, and you're like, I fell asleep right in the beginning. Yeah, I did. No, Rebecca no. liked it though. I did watch the beginning, um, and it was. No, no, no! Don't backpedal now. Watch yeah, what the is fucking this? episode, and we'll talk about. What it. is that? We'll talk no, about I, it. Like the first like two minutes. Oh, and great. Then I, you're gonna give us commentary need, on the first your, two minutes. I can do that too. It starts in a swamp. It's no, creepy. It there's some. There's some hillbilly bumpkin walking around the swamp he sees some weird ass shit and then he dies and then cue the the logo swamp thing got you right that's inaccurate oh okay <laughs> well guess what you'll have to watch the entire episode before you can tell us about it Mark. you're right Thank you're you. right I will, until then I, until then that's the canon beginning of beginning of that episode i will be posting up stuff on uh on our instagram as like, like reactions to uh me watching it so Worst part, Marco, we might not even give you the time to talk about it next week. We'll see. We've, we're just not sure how we feel about it yet. I Listen, I know how I feel. I don't want him to have it. He wasted his opportunity. <laughs> that's a good point. I'm, I might be with Kale on this one, to be honest. I feel you. like that's... It's going to go like on Instagram. I, to, no, but real talk, I, don't, I want to punish Marco, but I don't want Damn. to punish the Swamp Thing fans out there. All two of them? We, we, have, to, we have to punish Marco. But, like, I know that all two of them listen to our show. So, like, we got to throw them. If they want to hear his thoughts, we should let. I don't know. I guess we'll figure See, it out. See, now, that's, I, that's I just interesting. Said it's go you, on Instagram. You, you don't want to hurt our Swamp Thing fans' feelings, but you also don't want to punish Marco when I think. No, no, I, I want to punish Marco. This oh, is weird. This is I think our, not like that. I just you know like a dog like with a roll of on the nose. What are you talking nope. about? Pete, <laughs> yeah, every the, single week. I'm the Mexican dog on the other side of the wall, son. <laughs> <laughs> hey, shit, oh motherfucker! <laughs> every week, man, you say something crazier and crazier. Where are you going? <laughs> I'm losing it. I don't know. All right. <laughs> My, my my man, the East Master here, he's got a he's going back to the to the Orient, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'm moving on. Uh, <laughs> I hate you all so much. So oh, Peter. <laughs> we just talked about how Marco, you know, totally left Swamp Thing uh waiting for him and uh he's missing out on what's probably a really good television show. I, however, am a loyalist to the things that I love. The thing that I love, 
Jean Grey, the human I love. And uh, I'm not going to miss out on Dark Phoenix. But the problem is that what I love, what's coming for me, is going to be really bad. <laughs> and <laughs> you don't know I yet. know this. Yes, no, sir. we know this. I, 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 I do know this, unfortunately. Dark Phoenix is going to be bad. And I know this because of every single thing that Simon Kinberg has said in every single interview that I have read. So just real quick, I want to remind anyone who thinks I'm wrong of the fact that he said outright that he went back and reshot, used his reshooting time and his editing time to change the location of the final sequence from space, you know, where the Dark Phoenix storyline takes place a a lot of the time, to a train. No, it makes sense, Sean. You're you're misconstruing it. It's a it's a train in space. Oh, yeah. Astro oh. train. Exactly. Transformers. We all know about. Right. Them. Exactly. Now, I just want. I just want to is refresh. It a, is it a crazy train? Yeah, Dark Phoenix is on it. I just want to refresh everyone's memory, because I understand that a lot of people have burned the X Men movies from their brains, but. I just want to point this out. Trains have factored into several X-Men movies. (laughs) I'm going to tell you now. X-Men 3, Magneto is, uh, or not not Magneto, uh, several mutants are on a train being taken to get, you know, their X-Powers removed from them, and Magneto saves them. Okay, so that's an X-Men 3. In X-Men Dark, uh, Days of Future Past, there's also a train that Magneto also derails, which leads to a fight with the Sentinels. In X-Men Dark Phoenix, there's also a train that we've seen in the trailer Magneto is also involved with. So there's something about trains with this with, with, with these movies. I don't get it. Yeah. This is their, this is their, you know, big thing in the sky slowly coming towards the city, you know? Listen, guys, Fox is just trying to keep this franchise on the rails. (laughs) Well, listen, to counter that, I think they've taken it off because if I recall correctly, in X-Men 1, there's also a train that Magneto attacks and... He lifts Wolverine in the air and tries to rip the adamantium out of him. You're right. There's also a train in that movie because I believe, isn't it that Rogue is trying to dip out? Yeah. Yes, you're right. Or something, Okay, so trains have actually factored into four (laughs) X-Men movies. I'm trying to remember if there's one in X-Men 2 now. (laughs) Have you guys guys seen that social media post that was floating around a bit ago where it was all of the MCU movies ranked by how many trains there are? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, like what's what's up with trains and superhero movies? I don't know. So here's a thought. Oh, great. You're a vile human being. What if this is all leading to one final epic conclusion? X-Men versus trains. Versus Astro Train. X-Men versus Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. Anyway, the point of my rap is to 
talk to you guys about the latest thing that Simon Kinberg has said that makes this movie sound like it's going to be bad. So, follow me. He says, I think if we had four hours to tell this story, I would have included the Hellfire Club. I might have included Lalandra. Because I wanted it to be so focused on Gene, and I wanted to really tell a character story a little differently than we have in the past in the X-Men. In the past, we've been a little more horizontal, meaning there was a breadth of character. There was a bunch of characters. In this one, I wanted to go a little more vertical. I wanted to go deep with our main characters, and especially with Jean. So while I love the Hellfire characters and their role in the Dark Phoenix saga in the comics, and I love Lelandra's storyline in the comics, all of those felt like they were going to start to compete with the main story of Jean and her emotional crack-up and the breakup of the X-Men family. And I didn't want to draw away from that main emotional through line. That's dumb. <laughs> and I don't say that lightly. I respect Simon Kinberg. Obviously, he has you know made a lot of money in his career and is someone who has been directly associated with these X-Men films for a long time. But here's the thing. The biggest problem with these movies, in my mind, is that they have constantly been uh, embarrassed by their origins, by the fact that they're based on comics. And the more you remove those elements, in my mind, the worse the movies are. The comparison between this and Avengers Endgame is staggering. Avengers Infinity War and Endgame don't do everything that they did in their the, their comic, you know, analogs if you if you if you believe that, you know, the Infinity Gauntlet story is the closest analog, sure. But they feel like comic book movies. Everything about Dark Phoenix looks like it could be anything. It doesn't need to be based on the X-Men. I don't think that's the biggest issue because, like, there are several X-Men movies better than Infinity War or Endgame, but that's besides You're insane. You're insane. You're insane. Uh, What are you talking about, though? X-Men Origins Wolverine? Yeah, I think that's that one. That one even has Ryan Reynolds in it. Yeah, we like Ryan Reynolds. Oh my God, shut up! <laughs> Unsubscribe. Um, uh, so I did. I did look up. There are no trains in <laughs> X Men Two, but I think that's because that's why it's the best one. I think that's because the the jet takes the place of the train. They yeah, they have several scenes where they're all sitting in the jet, just like they would be in a train. Sure, right. Um. So I think I think you are right about something, Sean. So you're saying like this movie could be based on anything, and I actually know how this movie ends. Um, here's your exclusive listeners. Um, this movie ends with a retcon to the last episode of Game of Thrones, where Sophie Turner sits on the Iron Throne. <gasps> The, There's just the, something draining about your humor today. I gotta you, tell you. You, you, you're you're exhausting me, Phil. What's more frustrating it's, is he doesn't actually watch the show, so right. the memes are just memes. Exactly. Dude, I literally, they're hollow. I've watched the, six the, episodes. The thing that bothers me the most is on this show, Phil is exactly the kind of person he complains about in real life. <laughs> That's fine. I gotta tell you, just to go behind the kimono a little. Part the kimono. It's it. Six of one. It's even hard to play with you in this space, Phil, right now. Like, 
I'm being you, I'm being sincere. I know the I, ending, and also you need to you need to get on your game here. I can't I can't meet you where you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but but to get back on topic, the, oh that would be nice. Yeah, thank you. Jessica Chastain is in this movie, and the character she's playing allegedly in the script, her name is Alien. Yep. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> now, we talked about her potentially being a scroll. We talked about her being Lalandra. We talked about all those things. Alien. What is that? I'm That's confident. I'm confident. Be a xenomorph. I'm confident that Lalandra, uh, not Lalandra, that Jessica is playing the Phoenix Force entity personified. Mm. That's what I think it is. And so. I guess be the voice, right? I guess to, yeah. to keep that a secret or whatever, you know, they're referring to her as alien. But even that reveal is not interesting. Like, okay, I guess it gives Jean someone to play off of when she's by herself. But so what? That's not cool. I don't know, guys. I'm having a bad moment with this movie, and there may be tears in my popcorn. That's all I'm gonna say, guys. Guys, Sean came to us being like. I don't know, guys. I think this movie might be bad. <laughs> I just like... I, yeah. I'm so... I'm so anti-excited to see this movie. Like, I'm I'm dreading having to go spend money to sit through this because I just know it's going to be bad. And the worst part... So the worst part, to too, is that you're going to travel to see it, aren't you? No, I, I, I can't actually go to oh, New York gonna now, so I'm just going to have to see it in Philly. So, Phil, you want to go see it with me? Uh, when's this one come out? We can get drunk again like we did with Justice League. But when's this one come out? I forget. This week. week. Oh, I'm not on the show next weekend. I'm exonerated. Yo, fuck you. I hate you. (laughs) You're human garbage. (laughs) I have to go by myself to this trash fire. Nobody's going to go see this with me. Saved by a wedding. (laughs) Nice. You should go with me just out of solidarity, man. We'll nope. <laughs> Marco, am hey, I gonna you see know, you? Go ahead. I got mugged the other day. I would you you guys you should get mugged with me out of solidarity. That's you know, that's what real friends would do. That's a good point, I'm, Kale. I'm gonna end this conversation on this note. Despite everything I just said. Oh boy. Despite how bad I know this movie's gonna be. Despite oh how I feel about Simon Kinberg. And everyone else that's produced X-Men movies for the last 20 years. I am still excited for this movie. You're such a mark. Yep. Can I that's ask you a right. Question? Yeah. Can I ask you a question? If this movie is the worst superhero movie ever made, but at the very end, there's a scene, a post-credit scene, where Sophie Turner as Jean Grey turns to the camera and says, I love you, Sean Bartley. Would you <laughs> would you think this is the greatest superhero movie ever made? Listen, uh, <laughs> if that happened, I wouldn't have the time to think much because I'd get my throat cut by the girl sitting next to me who don't want to hear that. <laughs> you cover her ears. <laughs> my girlfriend doesn't want to hear that. Sean will go out in a blaze of glory. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's true. 
He burns out like Phoenix. <laughs> finally get to die happy. That's a fact. That's a fact. That would be the be- that would be the optimal moment to die. <laughs> it's like it never gets better than right now. Nope. Never. Uh so this next story is also very disappointing. Um Joshua Luna, who is one half of the Luna brothers, uh Jonathan Luna, who uh did Alex plus Ada, uh both of them, you know, popular creators outside of the big two space, um has taken to Twitter to attack Image Comics, take them to task for what he feels is a double standard over at Image. Uh, Joshua was planning to publish a, a new book through them called Americanization. Uh, and, and for context, Luna has published with Image before. So... Uh, he's, he actually published Ultra, Girls, uh, The Sword, and Whispers, all through Image. So um, it's not as if he doesn't have a history with them. That that matters. So American Asian is, uh, it, the full title is American Asian, a Filipino-American comic creator's awakening. And yeah, so this was going to be a book that was going to dive in uh, to his experience in terms of you know creating comics, and it was going to talk about some of the stereotypes that comic books still deal with as it relates to uh, Asian characters. And in fact, if you look at the cover for the book, you can kind of tell you know sort of where it was going to go um, and some of the things that it was going to deal with. And um, that's cool. It, it, it looks cool. Uh, and so this is where the story gets kind of uh, messed up. So Joshua Luna took to Twitter and I'll read, I'll read a couple of his tweets. He says, um, I'd hope to announce the release of American Asian, a book collecting my online comic strips about Filipino American and Asian American identity and experiences. But since my publisher image comics doesn't seem comfortable publishing it, I need your help. The partner, remember there are, uh, what five image partners, six, I think it's six. six now with Kirkman. Um, yeah. So he's talking about one of them as he is speaking here. So keep that in mind. The partner, a white man, said my work should be more positive and implied that my Asian American experience would be more relatable if it was like Pen15, a show. I don't know what Pen15 means. A show that reminds his half Japanese wife of her childhood. The protagonist is half white, half Japanese. I'm neither. I'm Filipino. He begrudgingly greenlit the book, even though it was clear he didn't want to, and I submitted my cover a month later. I was immediately told it could not be used due to legal concerns over its parodying, parodying of trademarked characters. No suggestions were offered to make it uni- usable. They, they then said the interiors were a problem because my racism... My, or, I'm sorry, wow. My criticism of Marvel's anti-Asian narratives was so negative within the book's overall context. Our exchange got heated. As I said, I felt they wanted to reject the book all along and were using a legal angle to justify it. There, there are several other tweets. Uh, the, I think probably the key is it's hard not to believe Image's behavior is discriminatory. Especially when there's a double standard. When Howard Chaikin's comic, he's referring to the um, oh, um, the bad one, 
Divided, divided states we of, stand. No, I believe was, it was it called. divided states or, of the? Yeah, divi- divided states of hysteria. Yes, yes. Was, yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Uh, when when Howard Shakin's comic was criticized for being harmful towards trans women and Pakistani men, Image defended and celebrated him for making people angry and uncomfortable. He includes a screenshot. He then goes on to say, "I was inspired to join Image years ago because two of his co-founders, Jim Lee and Will J. Portasio." are Asian. I wanted to pay that forward and use American Asian to invite other creators of color to tell their story, but how can I invite anyone when my own story isn't wanted? He ends with, speaking out about this is risky and terrifying, but silence would only add to the pain this has caused. So if you've enjoyed my comics, please pledge to my Patreon and or donate via PayPal so that I can continue making them, and he includes a link to that, which you should absolutely check out. So Yikes! This is a big, bad, heavy topic. And before I turn it over, the only thing that I would like to add is he says that the partner who he was referring to has a uh, half, uh, I believe he said half Japanese wife. Um, and there is only one partner who uh, who has that? And I'm I'm trying to find it's it's Eric Larson. Uh, yeah, Eric Larson is the only one who has a wife who is Asian. Um, I can't guarantee that she's Japanese. I because I personally don't know that. But he's the only one that has a non-white wife. That context, right? So it seems pretty clear that that's who he's talking about. Hmm. Yikes, Rooney, folks. So, just for the context of Pen15, it's a, a show about middle schoolers in, like, the 2000s on Hulu. It's supposed to be really good. It's supposed to be a very uh, very groundbreaking, sort of a universal uh, uh, coming-of-age story. Okay. This kind of sucks. Um, well, not kind of. It does. Like, and, and, and it's something that I feel to his point is very hypocritical um from the publisher's end and Dragon Marco and it's frustrating also for to hear like that for someone who is like such a fan of the company in general um like i i thoroughly enjoy image image books Pete i know you do Kale uh Phil and Sean whenever you guys pick up stuff too like it it sucks to hear that you know uh a publisher that is specifically made to tell these kinds of stories and and be in a space that isn't the big two it's frustrating to as a fan of the company let alone as a fan of the creators um and th- this sucks like I, I obviously he he has every right to tell the story he has um every right to to an extent to be edited for you know readability more so than content right because that's the that's the purpose of images we're not gonna and, and we, we've had creators come onto the show who have expressed that you know like image is very limited in what they what they do how they sort of insert themselves in the creative process you know a lot of it is if you don't ha- find your own editor and they assign one to you what they end up doing is just like oh like yeah you know change these kind of words because maybe the senses might make better sense this way but they they're never ones to say you can't publish this. Yeah. 
I, I will just say, too, um, before we get too much further in this conversation, it is worth pointing out that, <clears throat> you know, like Sean gave that context of it seems as if he's talking about Larson. Um, Image does have, like, a bit of a, a unique structure in the fact that, like, parts of the company are kind of siloed. So, like, someone's experience working with Eric is not necessarily going to be the same as what they would get working with, like, one of the other imprints sure. um, that exist at Image, you know? I um, uh, but, go ahead. Go ahead, Pete. No, no, you go ahead, John. I was gonna say I really was uh, shocked and uh, saddened by this story because I'm a. I mean, I'm a massive image fan. I don't really talk about all the books I read on the show, but I read like a lot of image stuff. And one of the things that I've appreciated is is just what everyone appreciates about image that you really kind of get a variety of stories. And, uh, you know, the people telling them are often from, you know, varying backgrounds. Um, and this is really the biggest option you have as it relates to being able to tell different kinds of stories on a platform where those books have a chance of being seen. Because, the, yeah, there are other publishers, but none, uh, none other than Marvel and DC have the power to really get a book out there the way that Image does. Uh, so so that's bad news. And this is, this is someone who has worked with Image several times. It's not like he's... Br- like, look, okay, if he's a brand new writer, maybe he doesn't have the storytelling chops and his story legitimately comes across as sour grapes towards the industry, towards America, whatever, and they just don't want to be associated with such negativity. Like, and, and and from someone who's doesn't who's not talented, maybe you know, or who's not proven, right? This is someone who's been published by them what yep. five times before. Yep. It's not like he they have a partnership. I mean, they don't have a partnership, but they they have worked together several times. So I'm not really. I'm not really understanding why every other book he did was okay, but the book that's about his experience is not okay. And there's other context. The Bleeding Cool article talks about how they they felt like it was the book was alienating that that it didn't that it, not enough people uh, could relate to what he was saying in the book, and that's insane. Who can relate to what Howard Chaykin was talking about? <laughs> I well, I defended even, that even- book. But that's Even, ridiculous. And, and we and I, yeah, and I agree with you because I I as much as I don't like that, I defended that book as well because I don't believe in censorship. But like, especially what what you're bringing up, like how can a like you know middle aged white guy tell him that his book isn't relatable? Like, how would he know if it was relatable? Oh, you know? I like, have an answer. I have an answer. He he, he went around the office. And went around to his Asian American friends and showed them the book and allegedly received the feedback that it wasn't relatable to them. What? Are you, are you, yeah. Did, yeah. Like but, legit? That's in, it's in the article. But it's, like, it's in the article. Even so, like, I don't know. That just is like not. Well, uh, I mean, you got to think, you know, um, we're saying Eric Larson. If it is, I, I don't want to, you know. I mean, listen, 
guy's been writing a, a, a book about a dinosaur man for, you know, 300 years now. He's probably not much he can relate to anymore. Um, it, yeah. it, 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 it's insane. It really is. This whole thing is crazy. Um, the, obviously, the whole kind of walk a mile in someone else's shoes thing, but... The, the whole like, oh, I went around the office and asked my Asian-American friends and my uh, half-Asian wife or whatever reeks of like, well, my one black friend says it's okay if I say the N-word. <laughs> that, right. That, like That kind of thing. I know that's like an extreme uh, equivalency, but like my point is it's like I maybe I can't relate to it, but I know people who can or who in this yeah. case can't. I agree. Like, it feels like it's in that ballpark. Like, that feels like a really weird fucking criticism. You're like, oh, like, your story is not relatable. It's like, well, it's my story, man. Why don't we put it out and see if other people relate to it? Aside from the, like, you know, what? Five fucking people you asked or whatever, we, we, you know? We, we joke about Pete being the Eastmaster, but that's what this feels like. This feels like, well, I'm the Eastmaster, so listen. I know what Asian people want to read. My wife is Asian, so... Oh, my God. Um, it's fine. And it's like, dude, I, I don't know. I, I, I think, like, to me, it really just comes down to, like, all the the grossness aside of this situation. It To me, it comes down to what Sean said, where, like, they have a relationship with this guy. He's proven himself to this publisher already. I feel like it's just like... And you greenlit the book. So put out the fucking book. You know, like, like, just do, like, and if it, and if it sucks and it doesn't sell, then you have that to, to throw in his face or whatever, you know, like, but come on, like, it's such a, like, it's such a just shady fucking story, it seems, from beginning to end to just, like, begrudgingly be like, all right, fine, we'll publish your book, and then just, like, fuck with him about it the whole time, like, it's just, like, all all of the potential like you know whether intentional or unintentional racism aside like it's just like a really shitty fucking thing to do to somebody that you've worked with and made a promise to i think the thing that really looks the worst surprisingly of all this stuff is the howard chaken uh precedent here yes yeah, <laughs> where you you publish a book that is extremely controversial because of the content inside and you stand by it. And that's one thing. But then you come around not even a year later and this is how you treat this book. Extremely bad look. I I want to um add something just in case uh, anyone goes looking at the bleeding cool article for the comment I made about how whoever did whoever this was took the book around and showed it to people um, to see their reaction. It's actually not in the article; it's in the Twitter thread. So if you want to see that comment for yourself, um, if you you know if you want proof, it's in the Twitter thread by Joshua Luna. You can go to his Twitter and you can see that it's definitely there. He definitely said it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that's that's in the article as well. So you yeah. can like click through the article and find it there, but you'll have to go to the full thread. Uh, and the other point I want to make is that Joshua Luna says that they actually um, took um, they ceased the digital sales on Comixology and burned 
one of his best-selling books after they started having problems here. That's true. That's petty. Yeah. It's just, I think, like, just the entire thing is just very disappointing. Can I ask you, you guys know? a question? Uh, does this impact your, A, opinion of Image, and B, your future purchases from Image? No, because I think this is a person who is part of the company, not necessarily the company itself. And there is precedent for the company to have done and allowed other material like this that is um, more sensitive and in some cases more explosive to, to be published. So I don't think that I think this is a specific case with a specific person. Um, and I don't think it'll impact my purchasing moving forward. Uh I do want to. I do want to see where it gets resolved, and maybe that might inform my opinion. Um, but mm. currently, mm. I think uh, I still stand by the company. This is a person within the company who's making it look bad. I I have to I I have to push back on that. It's your opinion. You're, you're right. It's your your right to feel that way if that's how you feel. But how do you get the books burned? How do you get the book taken off Comixology by one person, no one else knows about it, and there's no comment from Image on this when they jumped out ahead of all the hate that Howard Chaikin received on his book? That's insane. I will I will say in the article it says that there was originally a statement from Image that they requested be removed. So I don't I think they made a statement and then maybe retracted it. And I wonder why. Yeah, yeah. If it was if it was a, a, a statement that was coming out and saying you know we apologize you know for how this went down or whatever they wouldn't have taken it down. But this is still like a developing sort of thing, right? So like I, I th- that's why I made the comment. Like I'll I'll wait to see how it ends, yeah. how it resolves. That that and I think it. I think I think it's it's obviously given all that it's very clear that it was someone uh, with power. Yeah, right. you know, I don't think that's um, I you know that's not uh, uh, up for debate. Um, I think I, you know, I think it, it kind of comes down for me. I think it comes down to, given the structure of image, I think to answer Phil's question, I would just try to avoid, you know, that person's books. You know, uh, as this gets confirmed or. You know, whatever. If it is Eric Larson, no sweat off my back. I don't buy Eric Larson books. That, you that's, know? that's where I come down on it as well. Um, is I I definitely like, I think what Sean's saying is a salient point. Even if this is Eric, it's not just Eric. Um, but I mean, he's a really powerful person in image, you know? So there are obviously a number of people that work underneath him that, you know, whether they wanted to or not, you know, he's the boss. So like yeah. that's up for debate about, you know, yeah. like the culpability of, of other people within image, which I'm not going to deny. Um, but I, I think to take it back to the point that I made earlier about the structure of image, like Eric Larson being a shithead in this instance, um, doesn't, you know, doesn't like to me, doesn't damn all of the other work that's done at image. Cause there's a lot of it that he doesn't have anything to do with, 
you know um and and i think i think part of that too is you know that uh that that's ignoring the biggest independent publisher you know in in the industry in the american industry and hurting the books like if you like those books you not buying them to make a statement about images management will also hurt the longevity of the books that you like and the creators that make them so it's like it's it's a complicated decision that's that's bullshit if image doesn't want their books to be hurt they shouldn't let things like that happen full stop i agree i I agree with that this whatever reaction they have will be a reaction to the negative reaction that they're getting now sure damn i love when sean brings the heat don't yeah i'm not i'm not gonna back down because there's no way that this could happen and no one could know and that look th- if for him to be talking about this now it happened not now months ago this actually happened mm. months ago between then sure. and now you think nobody else heard about this and they couldn't have rectified this situation they don't think this I mean, is wrong yeah they put out a statement yeah you know so so, so so Sean does this impact your opinion of image and your f- future purchases from that company it definitely impacts my my feelings about image because and I'm normally a person to be you know reserved about things like this but I just don't understand how the same company that took two seconds to come out in defense of a look I'm just gonna call a spade a spade an older white guy who made a book about killing trans people and Pakistanis. That's not what the book was about. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm not, I'm not angry at him or whatever. I'm just saying that on its face, it looks really bad that they took zero time to come out in defense of that, but not only didn't allow this book to be published because they felt it wasn't relatable, but have said nothing now that he's speaking honestly about what happened that's all i'm saying and to me that is extremely bad and i don't understand how that doesn't um uh color the the image if you will of image at this point but to that point it was also like the the response came after after the backlash anyway right so if if we see a response after this backlash are those comparable yes you know what are uh, no, the reason why is because the book was published and Image reacted to the negative reaction that fans were having because they had the opportunity to have it because the book actually came out. Versus this, where we're talking about something that only happened behind the scenes. There was nothing public for us to react to until Joshua made a statement about something that happened to him. If he never said anything... Would they have would they have anything to talk about? No, this would become something that they buried that they never talked about. This is a guy whose books were burned and now he can't make money. Potentially, I don't know his his deal off the comicsology book that's out there right now that they took down. That's insane. Why they have to take the book down? What does that have to do with the book they don't want to publish? It's petty. Yeah, like it's definitely it's definitely to hurt him. This is some Vince McMahon shit. If we were talking about Marvel right now, everyone on this podcast would be shitting on Marvel. Guaranteed. Well, and but the thing is, I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. It's it's literally just that like it's it's so it's hard for me to like 
separate or not to to not I guess to not give image a little bit of space from Larson because like there are so many like segments to it you know like I think like to me it, it feels more analogous to like if we found out that somebody at one of the imprints at Marvel or something like that was doing something and it's not like Marvel as a company it's this one high-ranking person on this segment of it like I don't disagree with anything that you're saying I think it's just like I look at image as more spread out than Marvel you know um, because it's more siloed. It's it's neglecting what Sean's saying, though, because while that part's true, his whole point is that Image hasn't come out in front of this. They burned the book yeah. as a company, and you know they made a comment and re- retracted it. So yeah, there's that's... something fishy from the top. I mean, it's absolutely. I think it's because it's very clear that what like what happened was was bad you know and like was wrong and like they're trying to to fucking sweep to sweep it under the rug you know and like and that that is like yeah it's 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 unsavory it's fucking gross so it's either one or two things right like at the end of the day we can basically chop it up to one or two things and and one on one hand it makes them look grossly incompetent if they were just completely unaware of this which doesn't which i don't buy or b they were just complicit both makes them look terrible yeah uh, i i guess i'll go i'll say that it's not excusable nor is it a good thing overall but and to Pete's point on like it being separated, I, I I don't necessarily think that the hmm, 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 hmm. you you know what Phil this is a hard one. Let me let me hit you all with just the bottom line, and I'll step out. There's no ethical consumption in late capitalism. All companies are evil. You just gotta have to accept it. <sighs> all right. Sorry for getting so heated, but uh, that's no, dude, no, 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 yeah, no. I mean, it's it's like it's an important conversation to have, you know, and it's definitely like it's like Marco said, it's tough. It's a, it's a, it's tough. Yeah, it's very unfortunate, and I promise that if there is an update to this story, which I can't imagine that there will not be, uh, we'll yeah. be we'll be speaking on it. Um, but we've never shied away from conversations like this, and like I said, we came out. Hard, I think, uh, in defense of Howard Chaikin when he went through it. Some of us. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and I think that... Not him, the, the principal. The, yeah, 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 the, the, the principal. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think that Luna here deserves that same effort. And uh, that's just where I'm, that's where I'm coming from. Uh, Sean, sorry. Uh, when, when, did, uh, when did all this come out, all this this part of it yeah uh, the bleeding cool article yeah so for for us this came out uh a a day ago may 31st is when the tweets were published okay yesterday yeah so for us this was just yesterday and um Um, i i do just want to say like um he does have his patreon and paypal so um he he makes a, a 
a note here. I just found his his Tumblr, and he says, you know, speaking out about this is risky and terrifying, but silence would only add to the this pain caused. Um, mm. So I appreciate this conversation, obviously for for bringing the, for bringing this like uh, to the rest of you guys. And um, he also states, you know, so if you've enjoyed my comics, please pledge pledge to my Patreon or donate via PayPal so that I can continue making them. Um, so uh, I will definitely be donating. Um, I've Sean, I'm gonna put the links uh, for those for like later, but yes, um, yes, uh, definitely just like a, a shout out to that. That if he is he is a creator that you guys should continue to support. Yeah, absolutely. I think if this issue bothers you and you have you know the opportunity, the means to support, um, then you know that's your right and that's cool. Um, we'll have the link. It's your choice. Whatever you want to do. Uh, no, uh, no pressure, of course, but, uh, this is something that unfortunately does happen. And, um, the only way we get to see books we want to see published is to help make them happen on some level. So, uh, that's where we're going to leave it until this story develops further. And so now we'll talk about something that I think all of us are far less passionate about. Um, we have something confirmed which is that Robert Pattinson is officially the next Bruce Wayne slash Batman. Yes. Hashtag Team Edward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> that, is that Batman? Uh, Batman updates. That's the that's yeah, well, new ooh, segment. We have yeah. a new segment, Marco. Pat Good watch. job. <laughs> Pat watch. I like that. I like it. I'm so mad that I didn't come up with that. Yeah. Kelly, you really goofed up on this one. I was thinking, I was thinking, Bob Man, Bob Fleck, Bob Fleck. Uh, this is why you're number five. <laughs> Listen, hold on. Ouch. The original Bat Fleck thing was mine. You gotta, you can't deny that. I don't think uh, that's true. I think it was uh, mine. Yeah, I don't. Uh, also, nobody cares no, about the original. They only care about the remix, baby. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I so don't remember bits. We we don't we we don't have. Uh, much to report just that it's you know they they're they're announcing this um the it's kind of weird because the cinema blend cinema blend article that i'm reading from does say that until the studio issues a press release which could be happening soon this casting is 100 final negotiations should be getting underway soon now that robert pattinson is warner brothers choice so what we're looking at is that this is who they want. Whether or not the deal goes through is, you know, who knows. But if this is who they want, it's most likely going to happen. So I yeah. feel comfortable saying that this is the real thing and this is what it is. This isn't even officially official yet? I guess not. No. What well, the it's, fuck? <laughs> it's Patman Watch, dude. We gotta, it's every update. We gotta do it. Listen, I'm not blaming us because I know how we get our news. Through the trash. But, hey, listen. What the fuck? This has been the past three days, and it's not even official. Hey, what the fuck? <laughs> now they're talking about a trilogy, and it's not even official. Hey, what the fuck? Well, we it's always been a trilogy. They've confirmed that it's Matt Reeves doing the entire trilogy. Yeah. That was the new thing. 
But either no, way, no, no, no. I mean, that was that's 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 we've always known that Matt that Reeves was, was working on a trilogy. Absolutely. Oh, okay, I thought I thought that was the new wrinkle. Absolutely. Huh. The new okay, okay. the new the new wrinkle is that he's the choice because before okay. it was him, it was Nicholas Holt, and it was um one other individual who I can't remember Ar- Arnie Hammer I think someone yeah someone yeah. like Arnie that Hammer. someone like that I'm not positive who it was but it was definitely the first two and now we know that Robert Pattinson is the person that they want and Warner Brothers has approved that choice so that's the new wrinkle um yeah I know Arnie Hammer is too busy filming the Gambit movie obviously to do this but um <laughs> Is that true? No, no, it's a, it's no. a, no. that's a joke about that movie never getting made. Um, it, it got dropped actually from the schedule, so bye bye Gambit. But see ya. Yeah, uh, that was a little crossover Gambit watch. Chambit, <laughs> um, Chambit watch. I I wasn't on the episode where we talked about Robert Pattinson as Batman. Um, no, I just want to. So I just want to make a couple comments in that regard. Uh, I, I will say I read I read your messenger. Oh, uh, oh, comments about him to give your voice to the people. Thank you. That's what the people want. So I'll, right, I'll leave. I it. mean, you you didn't deserve it, but yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it. I'll leave it to one tweet I saw. Uh, no man. I'm paraphrasing now. Uh, no man better. You know, no man with a better resume to play Batman than this guy who played a young twenty year old uh, vampire man who wanted to be a bat, and that's Robert Pattinson. So we're good. Fair enough. All right. And so we're going to close out our new segment by talking about the other big happening in the DC Warner Brothers film world, which is that Tom King has been revealed to be co-writing the New Gods movie with Ava DuVernay, who I'm pretty sure is also the director. Yeah, absolutely. She's the director. So. Uh, she revealed it through Twitter, where she posted an image of her and King together uh, with a caption that says, Hey, ready to write New Gods, buddy? So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about Tom King a little more in a moment when we review Heroes in, or Heroes in Crisis number nine. But uh, what do you guys make of this development? It's Boy, not great timing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's where I come down on it is like it's not great timing in terms of my excitement for it because ultimately, you know, I'm glad he's going to get the shot because I want to see what he does. Um, if it's good, it'll be good. If it's not, it'll be another ding against him, you know, and uh, I'm I'm hopeful that this is representative of his best work because at his peak, he's a great writer. Um, so... I hope this is one of the things that starts to, you know, turn the conversation back around about him. So it seems pretty clear to me that this decision was made when his stock was probably at its highest. Because a decision like this is made well in advance and for various legal and, and, you know, promotional reasons that these things don't get announced uh, until they're good and ready because they're you know multi-billion dollar studios uh and in addition to that mr miracle has been getting a lot of eisner attention but this is the crossroads 
is that while I don't think Mr. Miracle's a terrible book, I don't think it's a book without issues. And that book is certainly not representative of what the new guard new, new guards the new gods are or what they do it's more like giving tom king another sandbox to do what he does that's what i would say of it and that's fine because i'm totally in favor of letting writers and artists do creative things with different characters I'm totally okay with that. But if we're going to do something that's supposed to be kind of representative of this very revered comic book by Jack Kirby from 40 years ago, I think Tom King is one of the last people I would tap on the shoulder for it. And with my opinion as low as it is on him right now, the lowest it's ever been, I have anti-enthusiasm about this. Ouch. Damn. Um, I... I don't have the same anti-enthusiasm, but I'm not necessarily like I, I saw this piece of news and I was just like, okay, like I, I didn't feel anything. And I sort of thought um, that I would feel something more, especially looking back at the initial announcement of like Mr. Miracle. I was really excited for that based off his previous work. But uh, the past couple things he's been writing, uh, Heroes in Crisis, namely, was not great. Um, Mr. Miracle, I think, was a great series. I don't know that it culminated in, into something that was as spectacular as it um, might have been. Um, it's a book that I think I need I need to reread. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 just kind of like, okay, this is this is a thing he's doing. I don't know, and I, I don't even know if him making this goodwill necessarily increase my opinion of what he's been writing um because he's had two misses or a, a big miss and then one that's just been whatever and depending on how this sort of turns out um i don't know i'm just kind of indifferent right now about it i i uh i gotta say there's a part of me that is is feeling like oh this is you know not uh not very exciting but I also happen to know that he's really into the new God stuff. Right. And it's not just him. You know, the when you write a, a script for a movie, you're serving many masters more than just your vision. And so, especially if he's the co-writer, there are certain things that Tom King does. There are certain things that Tom King does that, he won't be able to do in a script for a movie. Some of the more truncated dialogue, some of the weirder choices that he makes, you can't, you're not going to get away with that on screen, I don't feel like. And I, I don't even think that that kind of choppiness works in language. You don't, no one speaks that way. So um, I think some of the problems with his dialogue choices are going to be fixed up. And then the grander vision for whatever the movie's about is probably already decided prior to him being picked. So I don't think that this is as big of an announcement as it could possibly be because I don't think his contribution is going to be as big as it could possibly be. Yeah, even if he's a co-writer on that film, it'll probably get rewritten as well, you know? So it's like by the end of it, like 
how much is just his voice on this? So, if anything, what you guys are saying to me is to not be anti-enthusiastic, but to be like Marco, to be indifferent. If that's your choice. I mean, to me, it's just like a, you know, we just gotta wait and see what happens. It could be good. And the other thing is it's it could uh, be. it's a DC film, and I, I still don't think they have built the, uh, you know, the, the, the good cinema will to justify a, a, a good response no matter who's writing now that's a good hold point. on Any kale that's a good point. hold on kale get out of here we all saw justice league and audiences around the world were moved by that portrayal of steppenwolf isn't it interesting that marvel and dc are both putting out what is essentially movies based on the same concept uh. Space at the same so, time. So this is this is the second time you've asked that question, and no, it's not interesting <laughs> or weird. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Sean, your sales full of holes right now. <laughs> Apparently so. I will say that this movie would probably be a lot more interesting if we'd already seen Dark Side, which we were supposed to have already seen Dark Side, but you know. We all know what happened there. We saw we saw him. It's Zack Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> Snyder is. <laughs> Alright, so uh, let's jump into the reviews then, shall we? We're going to start with Heroes in Crisis, everyone's favorite. Uh, this is the last issue of the series. This is issue 9. And, you know, we have talked a lot about, you know, how... Much we haven't really enjoyed this book, but uh, it is at its end, and we finally know exactly what happened, and we know how this whole deal is going to wrap up. Now, the question in everyone's mind was, could Tom King take the end of the book and say something meaningful that might add to the story and might take it from something that really wasn't, you know, too enjoyed by many and 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 you know kind of kind of make it good you know at least at the end could he turn it around and so the question for you guys is did he stick the landing i think the message in this book is fine it's fine i don't get how it took this long to get here based on what we went through right and i think that's the struggle i've got it's on its face i think there is an an interesting concept there but it was just executed so poorly has no heat my friend um i i feel like it's worse than that <laughs> oh it is it, it absolutely is uh, i guess i was just referring to the the you know is the concept on its face interesting and i think it is uh but it's lacking that oomph to well, hey. Uh I I think that this issue for me, it, it unfortunately it didn't do anything that I liked. I gotta be just honest. Um the the therapy pieces, which were normally some of the highlights, I really didn't like them much. Oh. 
that was a that was a point where I texted you guys. That was ah uh, yes <laughs> in our in our group chat. I was like, this book is so fucking annoying. So, <laughs> I, at first they were very. Uh, they they gave us a great look into these characters. Mostly, you know, we got like a page with a character to kind of feel them out, uh, see where their head is at. Here, Tom tries to get in a lot of different people. And there were a few times, yeah, there were a few times where it felt like he was just making jokes. And that is... The Bat family. Yeah, that is extremely weird. Um, and, and again, therapy is something that, you know, it's a sensitive subject. Lots of people don't even want to talk about it. Lots of people don't believe in it, et cetera, et cetera. Tom was supposed to be trying to say something here, I think, with the concept of therapy, with the idea that people need it, that it's something that we should destigmatize. So to have the Robins kind of all make a joke, you know, that, that it's not even a, a possible joke. It's not even, it doesn't even make any sense that it, all of them would have the exact same thought and express it the same way. So it's clearly just Tom playing games. That just doesn't seem like the time for that. It's not that there can never be levity. It just, it was really weird and, and misplaced. Well, and like on the, the first time it happens, like, uh, you know, wasn't it wasn't it a, a recent issue of Batman where Bruce decked yeah, Tim? Yeah, So like... Tim is the first Robin in, in in that set of Robins that that makes the his statement, and I'm like, okay, there's a part of this that I can see. Yeah. I know I'm missing some yeah. bro- I'm missing some broader context, but like, I, you know, I I haven't liked where they've been taking Tim since the New Fifty Two. All right, but then the next one is uh, is Dick, and I was just like, okay, what the fuck is this? And, and like I feel like when it wasn't a joke, it was lazy. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with that. The weird pose when, I mean, and the art's beautiful in this book, but the weird posing when uh, Harley and Booster and Blue Beetle and and Batgirl all get off their ship and they're just like so immaculately posed. It's just it's just that's it's odd. You know, it's like um, porny. It's like, come on. Uh, I don't. I you, you, going oh, back I, to that. Well, I disagree with that. It's just, it's just dumb that they would all be there like that. You know, especially when the ship just crashed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the ship just crashed, and they're all looking cool and fantastic. It's just weird. I have zero point zero sympathy for Wally West at this point. I mean. The reality is he killed people. You know, it was by mistake. That's fine. But he covered up murders and then, you know, tried to frame other people. That's the least heroic thing of all time. I said on this podcast that I thought it was a travesty that Wally West died. Right. I think it was like issue one or two where we saw that he was dead. And I thought, you know, how do you I ranted about how do you kill the hope of the DC universe? The only thing possible worse than that is to reveal that he's actually the cause of all the death and that he, you know, did everything else that he's done. I really don't have, like, a lot of things to say about this issue other than I don't, I like, I don't have any idea what it is that Tom King was trying to do here. I really don't. Yeah, I, 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 I don't understand his use of the character and what he's trying to convey with it. Like usually he'll um, 
like in Omega Men, right? There were characters that were specifically meant to portray something and then uh, stuff happens and you get sort of a, a message out of it. The same thing with Vision. But like this is, you're just using him to murder, to murder, cover up, and potentially murder again. I get the idea of, you know, Wally... Wally West being the only person who can really comfort Wally West is like, you should be there for yourself type thing. You know, I get all that. That's cool, I guess. But um, as Kale said earlier, execution-wise, from top to bottom, this series has been a tough one. And I think that um, even though this issue isn't necessarily the most egregious of them all, uh, it is indicative of every problem that this book has had from the word go. Um, none of the main characters of the DC Universe appear in this book. There is no Batman, Wonder Woman, or Superman. Uh, that is... Un- uh, until until the end when we get their iconography in, in glimpses. Right. Uh, but like why were they even in the story at all like they're in the beginning and then they just disappear and don't do anything and Superman gives a speech and I always think that a story probably isn't very good if the characters generally end up in the same place that they were before the book started or before the story began most of the time there's some sort of progression where a character is, is different than they were before they're in a different position in their lives. They are doing different things. And all I need to tell you is that the very last um, page of the book shows everyone but Wally more or less in the same spot. Um, and I would even argue Wally, the last part of the panel is Wally saying through caption that he's still running. Right. So I would even argue he's still in the same spot. Yeah, I want to say so, wait. I want to say positive things about this book. Go ahead. Um, no, uh, Clayman with that, pan, uh, that full page spread with Harley and Poison Ivy. Yo, that was good. Booty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then and then um yeah, fair enough. I, I did like the what was it. Harley kicking what's his face in the nuts. That was funny. Yeah, I I I actually want to um, I want to table this conversation about Heroes in Crisis because I still believe that I would like to get Tyler from the Long Box on here to talk to us about why he enjoyed it because he says that he really loves it and clearly he feels differently from us. So I want to do a fuller recap of the series if we can get him on here to discuss that. Um, but as far as this issue goes, I genuinely have no emotions toward it. I think that everything that I've said before stands. There really isn't anything here for me personally. And uh, like I've said, I'm dying to hear the opposition, the other side of that coin. I'm not sure what Tom was trying to do. I don't understand how this got greenlit, to be quite frank. And I still believe the conspiracy theory that... This was not what it was originally supposed to be. That's my opinion. I, I feel like I feel like you're probably right about that. I just can't see how it would be because it it there's there's just nothing here, really. Yeah. 
there's nothing there's nothing here there's nothing analogous to a school shooting like tom had ori- originally sold this wally west is not a a a man who had the intentions of murdering people but he's also not a good man either uh i guess it's supposed to be the message is that it's more complex than that but to me there's not a lot more complex about framing other people for murder i don't know um does anyone else have more to say about this book i'd like to move on yeah i just i don't the uh the red tornado therapy panel has to be a shot at vision yo oh yeah that was that was kind of funny yeah that that um that was when i because we had been talking earlier in the show about like characters who are like other characters and he i was gonna say oh that's like vision but yeah he's like oh I'm I'm gonna build myself a family. I foresee some problems. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that's clever. Last thought: the best thing about this issue for me personally was actually the uh, Leviathan teasers. I really enjoyed those. Mm, I thought sure. those were cool. Uh, that is, uh, yeah. Would you? What? What are they? So uh, in the book, um, every few pages, commercials they show leviathan speaking on one of the main heroes um okay yeah those i thought thought you were saying there were like easter eggs in the actual book god no Uh, i was like oh i missed that altogether (laughs) so they're just teasers for event leviathan which starts in june and that's a lead into our next review which is the superman leviathan rising special uh now for context none of us are are caught up on the on the Superman books. None of us are, are actively reading them. I've bought them all, but I haven't been able to, um, to read them yet. But I thought we'd check in with what is happening with Brian Michael Bendis over on Superman and the story that he's telling leading into this event Leviathan thing, which seems like it's going to be really cool. Now, the book that we read is not actually the kickoff to the event. That's issue one, which comes in June, like I said. This is kind of the... Um, the the shape of things to come if you will this is letting us know where all the players are what the main story beats are looking like and and sort of where things are going and it's three separate stories three separate writers who are all kind of spinning and telling their own stories so brian bendis handles the main story which is superman slash clark kent um being captured by who he presumes to be uh leviathan uh, but there's actually a kind of cool twist to that. He gets captured by Talia Al Ghul, which is relevant, and we'll talk about it. Um, there's the Jimmy Olsen story, which is written by Matt Fraction, where uh, you know he just kind of has a wacky adventure. And then there's <laughs> and then there's the Lois Lane piece of it all, where she's trying to figure out what the hell's going on, and she enlists Batman and Wonder Woman to help her. That's was that was written by Greg Rucka. So with that established. None of you were really into uh, Brian Bendis on Superman, didn't really care for it too much, and not necessarily into reading this. Some of you were, some of you weren't. What did you make of this issue? Marco, you were probably the most resistant. What'd you make of this? Is that true? I think so. I mean, I had been kind of indifferent about it. Like, there's nothing necessarily that, like, attracts me to him because I don't have, like, a long-standing relationship with him. Um, But... I I had fun with this book. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think the 
it's interesting that the, the piece that really like got that got me that hooked me was on like the third or fourth page where you start seeing the the stuff with the face yes and i'm like i'm like oh that's weird how are they doing that and then and then literally yeah, the next panel goes cool. how are you doing that with your face i'm like oh yeah i would like to know that as well <laughs> um, and then from, from there like, like just because like it had an interesting element that wasn't necessarily related to the story that brought me into the world um so i think that was done really well uh and it was it was a good read i i, I didn't feel the um some of the bend speak that i, I think i've i've briefly experienced with like uh some of the first stuff he came out with superman um the dialogue felt kind of clean it, it sort of just progressed everything um i had fun with the story it, it was it was uh i think from an art perspective everything outside of the what was it everything with like the supergirl stuff and then with oh, I forgot like waller was. at the beginning like was really clean cut nice stuff but i think the what hooked me was the other stories like specifically the lois lane one and the uh the jimmy olsen one because i'm i'm a huge fan of like offbeat sort of uh styles and and colors and so that also from an artistic perspective overall um just kept hooking me like hooking me back in every new story um and the writing was all superb so like um i had a lot of fun with it I I was confused because I'm like, who the fuck is Leviathan? And then the book's like, who's Leviathan? I'm like, yo, I'm asking you the same question. Um, yep. But like, <laughs> outside of that, and like some of the stuff that happens in between, um, it was a it was a cool it was a it was a cool story. This, and maybe it's because I wasn't, I'm not caught up on on Superman. It wasn't. This wasn't what I'd hoped it was. But I'm also, I think I'm also looking forward to Event Leviathan, and then I, like, forgot that this wasn't it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like the 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 prologue to the book. Um, I don't know. There were just little things. I, I wasn't crazy about, um, I guess it's Mike Perkins on the Lois Lane stuff. Oh, I loved it there's there's an element to it that is that it does have that feel of the you know like the the old alias look um that you know i do appreciate the feeling but i don't know some of the some of the art just felt weird i really like the paneling and i really liked the mm. the colors yeah but i i i did feel like it felt out of place in this issue because it felt so different from a lot of the other art that we saw, you know? Um, the the one page, though, where, like, we get his first shot of Batman is, again, like, there's just, there's some great work there. I just, for this specific issue, it felt a little off for me. Interesting. I, I, I uh, enjoyed the, like, disconnect of art. Me too. I think the further we got in, though, like, I think upon, like, rereading it might not bother me as much because, like, there are, like, the three distinct stories, so it's not just, like, it doesn't just happen the once and it feels disjointed. It's like, okay, like, you need to just accept that it's an event book with, like, three or four different distinct styles. 
I should also say, because I misspoke, that Mark Andreco did the uh, Supergirl portion. So he did, ah, okay. he did also um, contribute to this as well. Phil, what about you, man? I'm mad. I'm so mad. Because you liked it. I didn't want to. <laughs> yep. I knew it. I knew it. I'm mad because now I have to go back and reread all of Bendis' Superman. It's so frustrating. Um, I There was very little Bendis speak, and it was just classic Superman fun. Like, the whole thing, top to bottom. Like, I like... I like Clark getting captured because he's chasing a story. And, of course, you know, he can't reveal that he's Superman. I like the whole Matt Fraction with Jimmy Olsen. That's the best part. I I love my man Yannick Paquette's art, uh, which you can go back and check our interviews with him because he's an amazing interview. I think both interviews are like 30 minutes. Um, this whole book is just phenomenal. Um, so I got a bombshell. I actually enjoyed this the most out of all the books that we read. No fucking way. Wow. Yeah. And I agree with you, Sean. This Damn. This is my favorite of the four things we had to read today. I was hooked from the second that Leviathan was on the page. I love Yeah, man. I love that kind of stuff. I love the mystery element that he can that he can appear and not need to wear some kind of costume. He's not a he's not dressed like a supervillain. He's out in he's out in regular clothes, but he's using a mask that's warping his face. That is so freaking cool. That really yeah. is cool. It's a very creative idea. That's old spiral technology, right? From uh, yeah. Grayson. Is yeah. that right? Okay. Oh. Yep. I knew I'd seen that before. It feels it feels like uh, uh, the the whole Bruce Wayne fugitive murderer series. Oh, it's yeah. got that same sort of feel to it. I was gonna ask because like Phil Phil said that he wants to go back to read like the Superman stuff. Shit, I want to go read the Jimmy shit. Also, uh, like shout outs to my man Dexter for showing up for some Yo, reason. Yeah. I don't I don't know why he's here, but I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah, Pete, you're right. I Dexter and Jimmy Olsen is the crossover I did not know I needed, but it's the one I definitely wanted. Well, and it's funny because like I didn't even think about it at all. Like I was just like, oh, it's just this dick cat, whatever. And then when he's just like puking up all the blood, I was like, oh shit, yes. (laughs) That that scene where they all show up to like rescue Superman and it's just Jimmy in the gorilla suit with like it's just it was it's very like Silver Age, you know. It's good shit, man. It's really good shit. I I I wanted to point out a couple things and and I know we have to move on. Um but who was the I don't even know how to describe it, the giant like robot or whatever that was that came through I imagine it was a portal and attacked uh gosh, what was her name? Eliza Danvers. Yeah, I assume that's the the, Levi- the Leviathan. Well, Leviathan is is supposed to be this guy with the with the. Well, mask. It, it, his organization, you know. Sure. Totally up. I thought maybe there was a character that I might need to know about that this was supposed to represent. But Phil, we know Leviathan. That's that's a thing from before, right? I'm glad you mentioned that. I went over to the altar this morning and I saw 
Grant Morrison's face as he winked at me. Leviathan, Bendis, you sneaky bastard, is from uh, the uh, it's from Batman, uh, uh, Batman Incorporated. Inc. Batman Inc. Yeah. Um, and that's where Talia al Ghul ties into all this. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Very sneaky. Yes, absolutely. And when when Leviathan was first, first mentioned way back in, in the beginning of Bendis' run, I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Why would you, like, reuse the name of, of a thing? But the fact that it's the same organization and that whoever this individual is took it over is very, very, very interesting. That probably means the the spiky arm guy is uh, one of uh, Damien's clones then. Oh, man, that's a good idea. Yeah, you might be right about that. You might be right about that. That's wild. Um, Damien's clones. And then... Oh, shit, and she did say, if you fucking throw me out, my son. Yeah, so uh, she has... She created, like, a lot of clones of Damien, and uh, in the book... One of them was like a giant Hulk type character. Oh. And he ended up killing Damien. The real Damien. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. So, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense what Kale's saying. It's possible. I wonder, uh, yeah, I wonder, I wonder with this, um, with this panel, you know, where she, she's thrown out and she says, if you kill me, my son will. I wonder if that's, uh, foreshadowing. Yeah, that's what I was just saying. Yeah. That's crazy. Like I oh wonder if I wonder if Bendis just gave us the end of the event. <laughs> well, in any event, it's interesting and I'm really excited to find out who Leviathan is. I also got to point out before we move on real quick, I was in love with the the idea that the thugs who picked up Clark were using sign language to avoid Superman hearing them. Yeah. That's so smart. So I love- so smart. Love this concept of you can't use certain words around Superman yeah. because he will hear I, them. It's very clever. Yep. They and they they made good use of it too, like just by like calling back to it in those small ways of just like, oh wow, yeah, like just thinking like logically about how criminals operating in his domain would have to adapt, you know? And and not just regular criminals, right? Amanda yeah. Waller is mo- way more than a criminal. Yeah, that's right. And sure. Leviathan, go ahead. Sorry, is that who that woman is? Yeah. yeah. It it said it said it was her. I thought her name was Leon. Why is she a bad guy? Girl, she's not. Amanda Waller is and isn't. She's yeah. kind of in a weird gray area, and so I could see why Amanda Waller would want to have Superman die. Like I could see why she'd want him dead, but she's not the active participant in trying to kill him she's just telling him here's how you would do it her position becomes a lot better if he's not on the map right well and i don't even think i don't even think it's like her necessarily making that call she gets backed into a corner right like i think she very much realizes that like you know give this information or like you might be putting yourself at risk too you know where it's like she in this scenario right like she gives him this idea of course she's thought about it think about who she is and where she is in in her in the in the position that she's at you know like of course she's thought about how she would get rid of superman if she had to and if she, if her plan works he's gone and the world is hers for the taking and if he's not somebody else is dead got it 
You know what? Now that uh, Kale questioned me, maybe I'm wrong. I could have sworn that was Amanda Waller. I thought they said so, it. So he called the Leviathan guy calls her Leone, and then Mrs. Leone or Miss Leone, uh, and then she says the rumor is the DEO is no longer with us. All kinds of rumors swirling around about Amanda Waller. Uh, but I don't oh. know if that's a, I don't know if that's a clever workaround saying saying oh Amanda Waller that's how I read she's it. Amanda Waller yeah I, I yeah that's how I read it but maybe that's not what was uh, intended so well I think we'll definitely have a better idea in the next issue it's also sure. it's also possible that that's something that we would know better if we were more if we were reading more regularly mm. the Superman well, stuff. I'm going back. Yep. Ditto. But anyway, I think we've I think we've covered this pretty well. And uh, I think we're all on board, right, for Event Leviathan. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm in. This is fun. Cool. So we'll be back with that review for sure. But now I want to talk about Doomsday Clock number ten. We've been waiting for this book forever. And um, it's 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 you know I'm very excited to talk about it because I'm not sure we're all going to agree on our feelings here. Who who liked it? Who loved it? I did. I liked it. Of course you did, Marco. You and I are always on the same page. That's right, baby. <laughs> loved it? No, I didn't love it. I didn't. I, I, I didn't love it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I can't even. I'm not even sure I can say that. I'm a fan of it. Mm. I wouldn't say I thoroughly enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it. I more enjoyed reading the CBR annotations after the fact than I read than I did enjoy the actual issue, I think. Really? Yeah. Be- what about it didn't work for you? Um I don't know that issue 10 is where I want to be reading an issue in which absolutely nothing happens. I don't agree with that. I think I think this book does set a new precedent for the DC universe. Right. I think it does move I think it does move everything sort of up a level sort of cosmically. Mhm. Uh but I I don't think I don't necessarily think it was worth doing. In general, <laughs> I, I sort of like mapped it back to the 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 issue in Watchmen with specifically where it's just talking about Doctor Manhattan and the way it goes back and back and forth. Yeah. But because it's clouded, mm-hmm. it introduces like a new concept. So I just matched it back to sort of that issue specifically. So that way, I because um, I agree, like n- n- no, there's no like action necessarily but it sets up a lot with respect to the the story and like the universe that we're supposed to be examining well okay but what did it set up so specifically so it sets up the fact that he he can see the time changing specifically through superman right and he he notices it specifically because it doesn't happen through him and he calls it he calls it a, a metaverse, metaverse or yes. something yes yeah so for me this this sets up that at least at least this character can see that what is happening beyond the multiverse 
uh, it's like what is happening within their reality because their reality is consistently changing through forces outside of his own like the retcon is essentially the 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 metaverse the metaverse right that's not a retcon that's that's no, no, no. The, 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 him. The, the ability to retcon is the metaverse no, that's no, not it. No, that's not no. What, no. No, 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 no. What he's seeing is that the universe of or the DC universe is like one universe and that the various changes it goes through and the resets that it's gone through are creating the multiverse. Like it's the universe from which all other universes are splintering off of. But then but then there is the next level with those changes. That, that is causing those changes, which is the metaverse. No, the Not metaverse exactly. is the DC universe that we see, and everything revolves around that. So everything else reacts to that. No, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, so he's so he says that's the exactly multi- what happened. He says the multiverse reacts to this universe. There have been endless parallel worlds, none, 52, dark multiverses, all created by changes to this universe. It is the metaverse. So where he comes to is the metaverse, uh, where where Dr. Manhattan kind of creates what we see. That's the metaverse, where we are. And it's called that because, in my mind, Dr. Manhattan is kind of an allegory for like editorial uh that's the whole meta thing right on the nose yeah you know um and the other meta part is that everything delineates from superman he's the center of all this he says that why is everything delineating from superman why is he the center of all this that's why he has his curiosity to the character on a uh real world angle um and he even mentions like all these multiverses from the past, you know, they come from the anti monitor. They come from, you know, um, uh, uh, was the fucking 1997 event, um, darkest hour or whatever, final hourglass, whatever it was. It's something hours, zero, zero hour, zero hour. zero hour, you know, it's all these resets. And it, it reflects that in every, every splinter of it. So 1930, April 14th, 1938, Superman's born. That's when he was created. That's the golden age of comics. All of a sudden, he doesn't exist with the Justice Society of America because there's a reset. 1956, that's when the Silver Age of comics happens and you get the Silver Age of, uh, interpretation. That's when he goes into the future and all that stuff. Happens in 1986 when you have Man of Steel created by John Byrne and Crisis on Infinite Earths. And then, again, 1997. And then, I guess I don't mention that one. But again, in 2011, when Grant Morrison does the whole New 52 thing. So, like, that is a, like that's where the metaverse like begins for Manhattan, but that doesn't entirely make sense because of, um, of, uh, rebirth, which is supposed to change that. But the idea, the core thing here is that basically Dr. Manhattan's responsible for the new 52. That's the metaverse because there are no delineations in the multiverse or not because everything is done through Dr. Manhattan. And that's why Wally West shows up to try to change it. Right. Like the the universe won't let this stand. This is universe will, zero. Right. It will keep trying to change what he did. Exactly. And that's that's yeah. the whole thing is that it keeps trying to unravel 
based on what happened in 2011. Right. I know that's confusing because it was. This is a giant info dump issue. Because I, I guess I had thought since uh, Manhattan came from his own universe and that isn't a split from this, that, that it doesn't, like, even though it revolved, like, this universe would revolve around that, but the cumulative universe where he's coming from, plus where these things are splintering off from, plus that is that larger metaverse, which is, like, us here being able to visualize and see the representations of uh, everything splitting off of this one universe. For the sake of the argument, editorial would be the metaverse. Right. Yeah. That, that's yep, yep. the way, I, that's the way I was perceiving it. That's fine. I think that part's fine because that's like the, that's the metaphor, right? Um, here's the goofy thing to me, folks. Um, Dr. Manhattan leaves where he's from because it's far too complicated to come to the DC universe where it's less complicated. Uh, Doc, what universe do you think you're in? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, well, and, and, and John's reduces it to such a simple paradigm that I think is a bit of a misnomer because he's like, Oh, my world was so dark and bleak. But like, I feel like that's a misinterpretation of what Alan Moore was writing. Cause like, even in the dark in the twilight of that book, people like the the fucking comic stand guy was trying to help the kid. Like people were trying to help each other, but he's blown away by like this actor, uh, this would be actor, you know, helping these police officers who brutalized him. And the, the thing is, that's Doctor Manhattan's perspective. I don't think I don't think it can be taken as an absolute commentary by Jeff Johns on the differences yeah. between. DC and Watchmen is more just Dr. Manhattan sees it that way because his experience in his own universe was yeah. his cruelty. You're right. And the only reason that's tricky is because they're also trying to tee him off as a, a larger allegory too. So it's a, it's a difficult balancing act. Sure. But I think, I think that's, I think that's part I, I, I that worked for me because of other characterizations of Dr. Manhattan where like I think that it's true that like he is in both Watchmen and in Doomsday Clock positioned as like a more than human figure he does still at times exhibit trappings of humanity and I think the fact that he comes to you know this universe and like is challenged you know by the fact that like he can't see the future and like he you know, it doesn't have the the um, godliness that he perceives, I think, is something that is, like, kind of, um, like, checking him a little bit, you know? Like, and I think that's, like, part of why that characterization worked for me. And I, I agree with Sean that it's more about, like, his interpretation of the events and where he's at right now in this moment versus, like, anything about, like, Watchmen specifically or, like, or other events like mm. that. You know, he's experienced prior to him coming to the DC universe, which is like changed his perception of time and space. Um, Sean, I kind of agree with your general point, I think, where you you're, you say nothing happens and it, nothing happens to move the story along. It's just very expository. So I'm not excited because nothing happens, but I'm not I'm not down on it either because... I want to see where it goes. There's a lot of information here, and I am intrigued by Jeff Johns experimenting with this, but uh, I'm not feeling negative about it. 
Yeah, I feel that. I don't feel negative about it. I just didn't think that there was anything uh, new, like not not necessarily not new, just um, he didn't do anything in this issue that he couldn't have done in half of an issue. Like, I don't think that mm, I, I don't okay. I don't think that it what he needed to do here warranted all of this space. I think that there was definitely a way to shorten that. I think that the stuff with um with the actor uh is probably going to be lost on a lot of people. And I love it too. And I think it's pretty cool that you can kind of place certain characters who are involved with this story in the role of one of the actors in the movie. That's fine. But again, it's like I really like that's a cool thing, but it's not anything, you know. Like it's not actually. It doesn't matter. That does. That I don't. I don't entirely agree with that because even though it's not, uh, even though it's not entirely actionable to the plot, um, it it's it's it's. I think it's good storytelling because and Gary Frank, to all his credit, does a great job with the paneling of it. So there's the part. Um, there's the part where he forgets his lines and he's going over the scene, the actor, and when he finally gets it right, uh, the 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 woman actress says something to the effect of, um, you know, you wanted a perfect world with just the two of us, uh, so I did get you, you know, going away present. Here's your perfect world, and it immediately jumps to the Earth that Doctor Manhattan's from, and it like. Shows him with uh, uh, what's her name? Um, Silk Spectre. Silk Spectre. Like it's it's little moments like that because it's like it's like it's almost like it's juxtaposing uh, John before he became Doctor Manhattan with like this actor. I feel like, and you're right, it might be lost on people, but that's I don't think that's inherently a bad thing. Yeah, and I, I to me that that helped inform my understanding of where John is at emotionally. You know, like, uh, and I guess maybe not emotionally, but like intellectually, you know, like where he is being challenged by his perception of time and space in this universe. And I think like that story grounded that concept for me in a meaningful way. Okay. I actually don't think that, uh, I don't necessarily know that I believe Carver Coleman is the is who we're supposed to associate ourselves or the actor not the actor but the the character he's playing in the movie i don't know that that's necessarily supposed to be the dr manhattan uh the character we associate with dr manhattan you might be right uh I, that was just a first interpretation like uh that was just a initial glance kind of thing i kind of think it Car- carver coleman himself Maybe. I, I mean, I could just be looking at this page on uh, 26, uh, Carver Coleman on panels one and three uh, is juxtaposed with um, Superman looking at Dr. Manhattan. Um, that could be the, the temporal thing, uh, but they are also positioned very similarly. Mm. So, Kale, okay, well, I'm interested in your theories and I want to uh, subscribe to your newsletter. Uh, All right. I'm too lazy to make one. Well, maybe ah, maybe beans. it's not Manhattan so much as it is Superman because he's trying to he can toy with um 
Carver's life, the way that he is seeing uh, whatever metaverse is affecting Superman's world. I thought that was a comparison. See, that's I think that's I think that's the interesting part of all this is that with it, it's invoking like legitimate speculation on like what is John's trying to do, and I I think that's good because it's going to merit another read from all of us just to try to. I think I think anything that requires more than one read, uh, I, I don't want to say is inherently good or anything like that because that's ridiculous, but um, it, it's at least significant in that it requires us to like reevaluate it you know what i mean yeah yeah um and that and that's certainly cool by me i guess for me you know there's only two issues left after this and i don't feel resolved with much of anything and there's only two issues left to do it so for issue 10 to essentially not advance the plot in any way uh that bothers me you know I think I think the the idea of the metaverse, the idea of Superman as this sort of apex point, you know, the idea that Dr. Manhattan is mystified because in his linear understanding of time, he can go back and forth and things are the way they're supposed to be. But in this world or this universe or metaverse, um, when he travels through time, there's actually changes that don't correlate with what happened before so he could see superman's origin in 1938 but also 1958 right that's that's so crazy and that's a cool concept but it doesn't do enough for me in issue 10 when i'm ready to see this thing go down and and i i i get that i i think for me that that was enough to move the plot forward and like it felt like that was like a pretty significant resolution of like his motivation for me. And now like, I feel like I'm ready for the dominoes to fall in these last two issues, you know? Okay. I don't feel like they need much more than that to start wrapping things up. So what's his motivation? I mean, I think, I think his motivation was originally just to escape. Like he said, like that he couldn't, his life couldn't be revolved around mortals you know, and like, and 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 then he came to this universe and found, like you said, this place that was beyond his understanding, and that made him realize that he wasn't as, you know, all powerful and all knowledgeable as he thought. And I and I think he became obsessed with the idea of manipulating the world and seeing the outcomes. I don't I don't think that like I think it's just he. It's like a, it's like a thing that he, it's a challenge. For him, for someone who thought thought of himself as a god, right? That that is what this issue should have answered, and for me, I don't think it did. And so, in that regard, I don't think I understand what his motivations are, and that's the central point of the story in my mind. Well, so, he, he, he says uh, when he when as I remove the linchpin to the Justice Society of America, I change Superman once again. I watch as my take on these, this universe sharpens into reality. Like I, he's trying to manipulate it so that he can control it. But why? Yeah. Oh, the why? Oh. Well, because he wants to see what happens. But right, why? right, he's right. Because fa- he's fascinated by it. Because we'll again, because say... you just said like you uh, the 
the, the you, I mean, I think you you laid it out perfectly, Sean. It's that before coming to the DC universe, he had a linear view of time. That time was a straight line and that he was the only being that could exist outside it and see what was and what is and what will be. And when he came to this universe, he realized that that time is far, far broader than that. That like reality existence is broader than he understood and that in this world specifically, Clark Kent is the linchpin superman is the linchpin and he says like there's that whole segment where he goes to kansas right and he says this is where it always begins and it's at the kent's family the kent family house and everything and i think it's that he's trying to see what like because he goes it's 1956 i watch him visit the graves of his parents it's 1986 his parents are alive years later he dies again in his son's arms da 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 and i think he's trying to see well what happens when they die when he's younger, you know, like what happens when, and I think he's just, I think he's just fascinated by like manipulating the results of this universe and seeing what happens now in his image. So I, I think, I think the resolution here is that Superman and, and Manhattan haven't had a proper confrontation. And I think some of these questions could be answered through that interaction, that dialogue. Yeah. yeah. The, the missing piece I think is also why, Dr. Manhattan taking the original Lantern off the board changes Superman's history so dramatically. And how could Dr. Manhattan have known that that specific event would so drastically alter Superman's origin? Yeah. I'm really curious about that. So I don't think this is a lost issue because I think it... It depends what he does next. Um, we have th- this. This issue is context. It doesn't necessarily explain why, but it explains how and what. So, let's see what how he lands it. These next two issues. Fair enough. On that note, I gotta go. All right, Phil's got to take off. Thanks, Phil, for your uh, commentary, and uh, we'll see you next week. Or no, we won't actually. But, see you in two weeks, Cyborg Bebop. See you in two weeks, bud. All right. So we're going to talk about uh, Batman, The Last Night on Earth, or The Last Night, rather. Wait, what's the full title? Yeah. It's Last Night on Earth. Batman, okay, Night cool. Night Earth. Uh, issue one, which we also read for this here deal. Um, this is only going to be a three-issue series, but it's much lo- the, the issues are much longer than normal. This is Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's alleged last Batman story. And uh, it does a lot of very interesting and different things. Does anybody have a, a take they're, they're excited to uh, launch with? The number one take I want to launch with is how fucking dope the cover is. Yeah. It's awesome. The cover is so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed this. I, uh, I think the overall the art was really strong. Um, I think especially on those like first couple pages, like some the the just like the paneling of um that shot of Batman with like the three, it's like him across three panels as he goes up to the kid. It, it, there's just some really great work in this issue across the board. Um, as far as like the overall premise, um, it's like it's very much what they pitched us. So, like, it's it's familiar in some ways. It definitely is giving me, like, echoes of Spider-Man Reign, 
which, I mean, is a comparison we made when they first announced the story. I remember you, I think, name-dropped that last week when we talked about it. Like, so, at first, it was very, like, like, they kind of fake you out with the whole, like, insane asylum thing, you know, or Arkham Asylum thing, and then, like, getting to the reality that it's, like, a post-apocalypse kind of story, and this is a clone, and, and you know, it, it gets, like, it gets way stranger, like, ve- it keeps escalating very quickly, um, but now that, like, we're kind of set up and the pieces are on the board, I'm definitely interested to see what happens from here. Um, I'm glad that it's short. I'm glad that there's only two more issues of it because I think that's going to force it to be uh, more condensed and more thoughtful. And I think, like, this issue felt very much like just setting the pieces on the board, you know? And, like, I'm, I'm ready for the meat of the story, and I hope that they make good use of that time. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, at the beginning, I was very confused with the whole insane asylum thing i was like ah god we've seen that story a million times you know um the twist on that it it being a clone that's actually pretty cool because it's a callback to the story that scott and greg told in their book where they sort of revealed that there were these fail safe ideas so that there would always be a batman or whatever um and that's pretty cool I like that they're tying this in on some level to their run. Uh, I thought that the art was absolutely gorgeous. I love what Greg did here. It's brilliant, brilliant stuff. And uh, and and FICO uh, on colors. Oh, FCO Placencia. FCO, is that how you say it? Okay. FCO is like a, a, a company or whatever. Okay, yeah, because like, oh my god, dude. Like, yeah, there's some great fucking color work on this book. They always yeah. color um, Capullo stuff. Yes, yes, absolutely. They've been working with. They've been working together since the start of the uh, the original run. Oh that, yeah, that's uh, right. Scott yeah, yeah. So um, you know, gorgeous book. I guess I didn't. Uh, I wasn't over the moon about the end premise that you know the world ended. That's all fine, I guess. But then there were this. There was this resistance. It feels like something I've seen a million times. I I came into this kind of thinking it was going to be all right, it's the end of everything and Batman's the last hero left, which I guess he kind of is because no one else wants to be a hero anymore. But um, Batman's the last hero left and he has to go on this journey for whatever reason. Um, This is a little different from that and I guess it'll change into what I thought it was going to be with the second issue, but that makes the first one feel like a wash in a way. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed it for what it was. But uh, I kind of wish we had gotten into things a little quicker, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's context, you know? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. Because uh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's how I feel about this double-page spread of, uh, of uh, the explanation yes. of, of everything that's happened. I was just like, fucking, okay. Yeah, even that page I felt was hard, like kind of hard to read. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm I, sorry. I I had trouble uh, keeping track of of what uh, what I where I should be. Yeah, going. yeah. I'm sorry. Which page was? Are you talking about? It's the page the where one with. Go ahead. The one with Luthor and uh, fucking oh the, yeah. the Moby Dick level of text. 
Yeah, that was that was definitely hard to to keep up with. Yeah, but uh, otherwise, I thought it was it was strong. I liked the attention to the Alfred Bruce relationship. That even in, even when things are are as wor- as bad as they are, Alfred would rather that Bruce not try to be Batman again. That he would let it go. Um, and that the last thing he wants is to just sort of hold him one last time if that's what he's going to go do. I like that a lot. It felt very much like that's what Alfred would do. He's like, yes. no, like even if I'm bringing you back to life, it's like I'm not letting you live that life. Right. Yeah. I, I think that uh, Scott did a good job in terms of giving us those moments. It was the other stuff, the the, the idea of it that like the broader idea that I wasn't as in love with, but the moments I thought were really good. Yeah, I, I agree with that in general. Like, I feel like it's well executed for what it is. It's just what it is is a little bit like, I don't want to say played out, but it's just kind of like, it's not anything super unique, right? Like we've seen this and stories like it so many times before. And whether it is like, the Logans or or the old man Logan, I guess I should say, or like the Spider-Man Reigns or even stuff like Injustice or like Marvel Zombies where you just get the very like it's a dark like there's no hope left in the world scenario and Batman's going to bring some hope back or he's going to die trying. And it's like, all right, cool. Like, I'm, you know, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo have earned the right to tell their version of that story. Um, so I'm here for it. But it's not anything that's like that feels like groundbreaking, you know, which is like I think how it kind of I think that's what it wants to be. And I think that this as an idea is just like it's been done too many times before for it to have that effect. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But that being said, like, it's cool. Like, I I like the uh, the whole like. I really like the character um, designs for, like, Wonder Woman's, like, new Amazons. Like, that whole thing was neat. And, like, Poison Ivy looks like a fucking badass. <laughs> um, and I, I loved that scene where she comes up with fucking uh, Dr. Fate's old helmet and everything. Like, there's just, there's some cool, like, they got some good mileage out of the whole post-apocalyptic DC universe thing, you know? So it's cool. Yeah. And I love the Joker head. That whole gimmick ended up, it ended up being a lot funnier and and more enjoyable than I thought it would be. And I'm never going to forget the Batman and Noggin line. That's going to be in my mind forever. Dude, my, my favorite one is the part where he's in the, he's in the like, cowl in the back of the the ship or whatever and um i don't know the one woman's name i think she's the first one who pulls him in um but she's like oh like tell me he doesn't look like the genuine article like who you are who are you and the joker head goes go ahead say it i know you want to say i'm batman (laughs) it was it's good it reminded me a lot of um of arkham knight actually where uh the Joker's ghost like follows you around right, and everything. Right. This reminds yeah, me of, so. of um, sorry, just, just like a quick analogy, the Charles Souls, um, one Swamp Thing story, uh, where they go like 
into the future or something i forgot what it was called it was like in a whole event that affected all the titles um but there's an instance where he just like he goes on this mission and he's carrying along this head the entire time um on this like journey it's uh so it, it instantly reminded me of this but it was cool really great story um if i find it i'll uh, i'll mention it but uh last note yo the next cover fire oh my god yeah so that cool bane scarecrow fucking fusion so cool future's, like, end. Oh, future's end future's end there you it, go yeah. yes yes um but yeah i was like oh that's so gross loved it but yeah i mean you know like this this is this was a good issue like i'm i'm down for the ride d- despite the fact that like it's not i don't you know like the things we said about it being explored territory notwithstanding like this was cool and like the fact that it's not asking a huge investment from me i'm just like yeah i'm in totally in all right, so that, that about does it for our reviews. Four books this week, which uh, we've never done before. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. We're exhausted. Um, so we're going to head out. But definitely let us know which of these books you enjoyed most, if you read them all, uh, or if you didn't, you know, which ones did you read and what did you think about them. And, um, you know, what are you excited for next from these series? Keep in mind, uh, next week we'll be reviewing the Dark Phoenix film for you guys. So look forward to that or don't. Uh. And the uh, <laughs> the <laughs> Dark Phoenix Saga book club is out right now for you guys to check out if you want to hear it in preparation for the movie. So, and by the way, my big reveal is there. So go check it out. Hear my big reveal. You don't want to miss it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, of course, you can reach us, reach out to us in plenty of ways. We are on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We are on SoundCloud. We're pretty much everywhere you can get a podcast. If we're not, let us know. We'll get there. Uh, you can catch us on social media at The Comics Pals. And last but not least, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. To talk to us about any number of things, whatever you want. Just reach out. And uh, we'll reach out back. So with that, let's get into some plugs. Pete. Cool. If you guys want to catch uh, me all over the internet, you can find me at loud underscore Pete on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about what your favorite comic was this week, uh, especially if it was one of these, I'll say three fine books. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you want to get some more work from me, you can catch my stuff over at loopots.com where I host a weekly Nintendo podcast, the podcast. Uh, as well as our Patreon-exclusive show, After Dark. Um, and I write the odd article. So if you want to go check that stuff out, please do. Awesome. Kale? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Uh, you can find my work on KaleWard.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com, uh, um, where you can find... Uh, the podcast I do with my wife called Gone Global. Uh, this week it was a movie week, finally. Oh. Um, so the upcoming episode is um, is uh, Doctor Who, the movie, and Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. You've never seen um, Star Trek Four? No. You're a monster. No. <laughs> um, I also hadn't seen uh, the Doctor Who movie. And, You're uh, a bigger monster. You'll have to tune in to find out which I liked better. Oh. 
Um, I also wrote a, a really dope uh, Star Trek article uh, about Star Trek Discovery and uh, why it's the best Star Trek show. Um, I wrote that with the Nerd League. Um, I imagine that'll be posted this week. Um, I don't know. I'll, it'll be everywhere. Check my Twitter accounts. All right. Marco? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Marco Enomoto. Um I my coworker brought me Lock and Key Volume Three, so I'm back on that. I'm back on that book. Um, love it, huge huge fan. And he also gave me the Sixth Gun, which is um, a Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt book. Um, so if you want to check out a little bit of uh, some insight into that book, we interviewed Tyler Crook, who he did some work on that. So definitely go check out that interview as well. Awesome. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about uh, our shared pain regarding the badness that is to be the Dark Phoenix film. So with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye.